kind of started into a section in the miracles of Christ, which is pivotal. Um, what happens is Jesus, uh, in, in one of the miracles that we've already talked about, Jesus calms the storm. And then afterwards they land on the shore and there's a, there's a crazy man from the, the Gadarenes who's, who's demon-possessed and he lives among the tombs and he cuts himself. And, and Jesus casts out the demons. That's where Jesus casts out the demons and they go into the pigs and they go into the water. And then Jesus gets on the boat. They don't want him around there anymore, so they tell him to ask him to leave. And so Jesus gets on a boat, and he goes to the other side, and the boat lands, and Jesus gets out. And a guy by the name of Jairus, who is a synagogue leader, comes to Jesus and says, my daughter is very, very sick. My 12-year-old daughter, will you come and and heal her? And so Jesus starts to go towards Jairus' house, and along the way, a woman reaches out and touches the hem of his garment. She had had an issue of blood for 12 years. No one was able to help her. And Jesus looks at her and says, your faith has made you whole. And she, she, becomes, <clears throat> she puts her faith and trust in Christ. And, and as Jesus is standing there dealing with her, Jairus' servants come up and they say, look, don't bother him anymore. Um, your daughter's dead. And Jesus looks at Jairus and he says, it'll be okay, just believe. And Jairus does. And Jesus goes to Jairus' house and raises his daughter back to life. Jesus leaves there and on the way <clears throat> out there are two blind men that that need healing, and Jesus gives them sight. And then we come to our story this morning where Jesus, um, it's almost a throwaway story, where Jesus, um, in in walking out, sees a man who's demon-possessed but can't speak. And Jesus casts out the demon and gives gives the man voice. And it's almost a throwaway story when when we look at it, but you need to understand the context because what's happening is In the traditional model of the New Testament time, Jesus is teaching his disciples. And the passage we're going to look at this morning is at the end of Matthew chapter 9. And what happens is, um, we're going to read about the story of Jesus and the the mute um, person. And then you're going to see Jesus move with compassion on the multitudes. And then when you come to chapter 10 and verse 1, Jesus is going to commission the disciples. So, up, so what happens is this whole series of miracles happens like boom, 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 boom. And then Jesus is going to turn around and he's going to look at these guys and he's going to say, now, go do what I've done. And so it's really important that these miracles come as closely together as they do at the end of Matthew chapter 9 because Jesus is laying out all of these things because he's showing these guys that he has power and that the kingdom has come to the earth, and that there's a new kingdom. And he's then going to look at these guys and say, now you go out and tell everybody about this kingdom, and you show them what this kingdom's like. So these become very, very important in, in, the, in the grouping, if you will, of these miracles. So with that in mind, um, Matthew, Matthew chapter 9 is where we're going to start it, at the end of it, and here's what it says. It says, while they were going out, a man who was demon-possessed and could not talk was brought to Jesus. Kids, sometimes you'll see this guy referred to as a mute guy, right? Uh, Mute just simply means that he can't talk, he can't speak. On your remote at home, you have a button that's called a mute button. You use it for all commercials, you go mute. Um, Or you you go with the system that skips commercials. Uh, I think the dumbest screen on my TV says, do you want to skip commercials? Yes. Take it off. Assume it always. Uh, but anyway, uh, that mute button, mute means they can't speak. And so sometimes he's referred to as a mute person. And it says here that 
he could not talk. He was brought to Jesus. And when the demon was driven out, the man who had been mute spoke. The crowd was amazed and said, nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, it's by the prince of demons that he drives out demons. Um, I want to spend a little time talking about this because in, in this story, the miracle is not the focus. We don't know anything about the guy other than he was demon-possessed and he couldn't talk. We don't know what Jesus did. We don't know if Jesus touched him. We don't know if Jesus spoke. We don't know. We don't know. All we know is that Jesus is walking by. He sees something that no one else sees. And he sees that this man is possessed by a demon. And so Jesus simply casts out the demon. The man speaks. Now, here's the thing about this story. That's all we know. That's the whole miracle. But the focus in this story is not the miracle. The focus is the response of the people. And it says there are two different responses. The first response is, and we'll get to this in a second, is the crowd. The second response is the Pharisees. And what's the response of the Pharisees? Help me out. Yeah, they look at him and go, hey, hey, you know, he's doing this because he's of Satan. It's interesting. They do not deny the miracle. They don't deny that Jesus did this. That's not even a question in their mind. The question is, what was the source? And since they can't deny the miracle... Follow this, by the way. Since they can't argue and debate the miracle, they attack the person. You get that? Since they can't deny the miracle, they attack the person. Look, when you go into the workplace and you go into the community and you try to live for God, they can't argue your actions. So you know what they often do? They attack the person. This is not new. This is what they did to Jesus. And so when Jesus starts, he, he, he performs this miracle, he casts out this demon, this guy speaks. They can't argue that, so they attack him, and they go, well, it's because he's demon-possessed. And we look at that, and let me ask something: is that a good response or a bad response? It's a bad response. That's not the way you should respond to Jesus. How did the other group respond? Huh? They were amazed. Is that a good response or a bad response? the same response you get that let me show you something not many of you know that i do stained glass okay and i love stained glass and stained glass and, and i'm on a lot of of social media stuff with stained glass stuff so we try to encourage each other and we we post different things and we post amazing things here's something that was posted this week um show that next slide would you cole oh, that picture slide okay <coughs> Somebody made this. This is a stained glass chandelier octopus. It's four feet in diameter. Okay? If you want to own this, he will sell it to you for $19,000. I'm not kidding. That's the price of it. He has two with two different heads. As a stained glass, and by the way, it articulates, which means you can position the arms and tentacles in different ways. Now, as somebody who does stained glass, I'm telling you, I am in awe. I look at the detail of this thing. I look at the, at the, the, the workmanship and the craftsmanship, and I sit in my head trying to figure out how in the world is this articulated? How in the world do you position it in different places? How do you even make the mechanical thing to be able to do that with glass? 
I am amazed. And that's as far as it goes. See, I didn't go downstairs after seeing this and say, Honey, I'm going to make a four-foot octopus for our dining room. Chandelier. I'm going to hang it up there. And don't worry, honey. I'm going to design it so you can move the tentacles in different positions. As far as it went was, I'm amazed. I look at this, and I look at the workmanship, and I can appreciate it. And, and this thing lit up is amazing. He has it so just the headlights up, or just the tentacles light up, or just the candle things light up. And it's just amazing how he designed this thing. But that's as far as it goes. I'm not going to write him a check for $19,000. I'm not going to go try to make one. I just sit in awe of it. And that's as far as it goes. Now, go back to our passage there, Cole. Notice what it says here. It says, the crowd was amazed and said, nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. And that's as far as it goes. See, the response is the same. None of them do anything about what they saw. They, one group sits back and goes, that's amazing. The other group goes, that's from Satan. That's it. Both of them have the same response. It doesn't impact their life. And I think that's what's so important here for us to understand. You and I can see and learn things from the principles of the Word of God, but if they don't impact our life, it's no different than the people who aren't here this morning. You get that? In other words, all this becomes is an academic exercise. All this becomes is something where you put in your time. And there are all kinds of religions all over the world where people this morning are punching a clock and putting in their time. But it's making no impact on the way they live this week. Why? Because it's the same response. Our goal this morning is not just to hear it, but for it to move us to do something different this week. James says it this way. Don't be hearers of the word, but be doers. Don't just take it in, but live it out. And in this story, one of the, I think the focus is this, because here's what you're going to see. In the next passage, the focus still stays on the crowds. And, and, and so Jesus kind of shifts in his miracles to the response of the people, because then he's going to turn around and he's going to look at the disciples. He's going to say, now you guys are going to go. And you guys are going to go do this. So this is how the story ends with all of these miracles. Now notice what's next. And the passage goes on. And here's what it says in verse 35. Um, Jesus went through all of the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. Um, we don't have time, but if you were to go to chapter 10 and verse 1, you know what the next verse is going to say? It's going to talk about Jesus calling the 12 and sending them out. So, as, okay, so here we go. Let's walk through it. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues. Um, let's get an understanding. Oh, this thing's driving me crazy. Um, let's get an understanding of the synagogue thing, all right? And this time, just about every, if they had 10 men, who could lead, they would have a synagogue. A synagogue was the Jewish place that they worshipped, all right? So the Jews would worship. They would worship there three times a week. They worship around the Sabbath, on the second day, and on the, fi on the fifth day of the week. Um, what they would do is they would gather together, um, and there would be a synagogue ruler. Usually there was a group of ten that ruled, um, and everybody had different jobs. 
And so uh, some of them, like Jairus, Jairus was a synagogue ruler. Um, the synagogue typically was a building. It was usually set on a hill or by a river. And what it would be is they would usually have a great big tall pole. Uh, it used to be probably the tallest pole in all of the city. And the idea was whenever you walked into a city, you always knew where the synagogue was. Uh, we do it today. We call it steeples. Um, we throw, you know, steeples on top of buildings. Um, I never, ever in my wildest dream would have put a steeple on this place. But Youth for Christ had bought a building. They were getting rid of it. It was a church. We ended up with a steeple. We'll tell you the story next week. But anyway, we ended up putting a steeple on here. And from the time we put the steeple on, everybody then started seeing this as a church. Now one of the first things I do in a community when I put up a building is I put a steeple on it. Just because it says something. And, and in that day, they'd put a great big pole up so that when you walked into town, you knew where the synagogue was. The synagogue was kind of the town hall. It was kind of the center of everything. Um, it was often a place where uh, they would have school during the week. So the kids would come and they would have a school thing there within the synagogue. Uh, it was a place where they would hold court. If, um, if, if there was a problem in the city, they'd bring everybody together. They would meet in the synagogue. Usually the synagogue rulers would rule. So they would kind of play like judge and jury kind of thing. Um, that was not uncommon. They would have a typical service. Um, the service was interesting. Uh, typical service. Uh, let me get it all in, in order for you. Usually they would start um, with thanksgiving or blessings. So they'd start the, day out, they'd start the service out by saying, okay, here's, here's thanksgivings and blessings, things that we're thankful for, things that we're grateful for. Uh, they would follow that um, usually by singing. Um, well, and they would continue to give testimonies usually in between the songs. Uh, or that kind of thing. Uh, then they would follow with prayer. They would have a time of prayer. Uh, so you know, all the, you're going, wow, that's like stuff we've already done. Yeah, people have been doing it for a long time. Um, after the prayer thing, what they would do is a reader would stand up, and he would read from the Pentateuch. The Pentateuch is the first five books of the Bible. So they would read a passage from either Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, or Deuteronomy. Uh, I don't know if there's a lot read from Numbers, but it's part of the Pentateuch. So uh, somebody would stand up and read. Traditionally, they would read it in Hebrew, and because this, of this culture, they would translate it into Aramaic. And so they, they would read that. Then somebody would stand up and they would read from the prophets. Uh, they would, they would, again, they didn't have a New Testament, all right? So it's all Old Testament stuff. Somebody would read from the prophets. And then somebody would stand up and they would talk about it or they would explain to it. Uh, then they would close the service in prayer. And that was a typical synagogue kind of service. They had things in there where people would read back and forth and responsive readings and things like that too, but it, that was all part of the service. The idea was this. The idea was they had a concept called um, um, freedom, freedom of the synagogue is, is kind of the term for it. And here's what it meant. It meant that if a visiting rabbi came in or a visiting speaker would show up at a service, they kind of gave um, deference to him. So, for instance, here, here's the way we'd sit this morning. Let's say we're in here in the service, and we're all getting ready for the service this morning and everything else, and, and I'm standing in the back, and, and, and all of a sudden, Billy Graham walks in. And I would say, hi, Billy Bob. No, I would not. I would say, hi, Dr. Graham. I would say, thrilled to have you this morning. Do you want to preach? The service will be yours if you want it. Why? Because the last thing I want to do is preach to him. I would love to sit and let him preach to me. Um, 
I would offer that. I'm not saying he would take it, but I would offer that. Why? Out of deference to him because of who he is. It's kind of like Aaron and Lori. Aaron has a, I have a standing thing with Aaron. I tell Aaron, anytime you want to come out here and preach, the pulpit's yours. We don't get to hear you that, that often. It's yours. I, we will work around it. Uh, why? Because out of deference to him. So that's why, by the way, that's why Paul and Jesus would get to speak in the synagogues. Because Jesus would walk in as a rabbi, as a teacher, with a whole bunch of people following him, and they go, oh, they, you know what, I think we've heard of you. You want to speak? And somebody would stand up, and they would read a passage in Isaiah, and he'd stand up and say, let me tell you about this. It's fulfilled in your presence this day. Whoa, back up the train. We got a whole new ballgame today in our service. And that, that's, that's the way it would happen. So Jesus goes into traveling, and notice what it says. It says, he proclaims the good news of the kingdom. So he would go in and he would say, let me tell you about the kingdom of God. Let me tell you what it's like. Let me tell you the kinds of ways that the kingdom of God functions. He would talk about all the things like he would talk about in the Beatitudes, that blessed are the merciful, blessed are the poor in spirit. He would talk about forgiveness. He would talk about kindness. He would talk about all of those things. Uh, and he would, he would proclaim that. And then Notice what it says. It says that when he saw the crowd, so Jesus is teaching and he's doing all this, and he starts looking at all these people that come to him. And he sees them not as they are, but he sees them with all of their needs. And it says he's moved with compassion. Our English equivalent would be it, it poked his heart. It it, it, it did something inside. There was a visceral, there was a gut response. He could not simply just look. It moved him. And then notice very carefully what he says. What moved him? It's the idea that, like he said, he said, he said, he uses two analogies. He uses one from the farm and one from the field. He uses the one from the farm. He said they're like sheep without a shepherd. Now they had shepherds. The Pharisees and the Sadducees and the, and, and the scribes, they were supposed to be their shepherds, but they had dumped so much stuff on them that he, he, he looks at them and he says, they're harassed and helpless. He said, they're all beat up. Nobody's taking care of them. He said, they're beat down. They're discouraged. They're oppressed. They're overwhelmed. No, These people who are supposed to be their shepherds, they're not helping them. They're making it worse. And then he goes to the field analogy, and notice what he says. He said, um, and then he said to the disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. He looks at all of these needs, and he compares it to a field ready to harvest. And he says, and I look at all these needs, he said, the, the field is full. But nobody's working it. He said, think about it for a minute. You're a farmer, many of you are in harvest or winding down harvest or whatever else. Let's say you got 1,500 acres of corn you've got to get in this year. You imagine going out every day and you look and you walk through the field and it is loaded. It is absolutely loaded because you don't have bottom ground. It's loaded this year, all right? And I mean, you know, it's like, wow, 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 wow. And you, get, you, you, you go to your spouse and you go, I'm so excited to be ready to harvest the year. I just can't wait till we pull the combine in the field. And you find out that you have no help this year. It's you and you alone. And your spouse looks at you and goes, good luck. You know, I just don't want to do it this year. 
It's all you. You got to run it through the field. You got to drive the combine. You got to load it into the into the buggy thing, and then it gets all loaded in a buggy thing. You got to jump in a buggy thing, and then you got to take it to the truck thing, and you dump it into the truck thing. And then when the truck thing gets filled up, you drive it to the to the bins, and you got to auger it all in, or you take it to the co-op and you dump it in that 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 chute thing, and and then you drive the truck back. I've done this, you know. I just <laughs> I just don't know the names for it. Um. But then you drive the truck back, and then you, then you jump back into the combine, and you realize, oh, no, the combine's out of gas. So you got to put gas in the combine, so you get the gas backed up. And you, now, let me, now, the fields are loaded. What kind of harvest are you going to have? Long. You're going to leave a lot on the ground this year? Yeah, because you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna be combining in snow. And you go, what a shame. If I just had more help. And by the way, I know some of you. Don't go home and tell your wife, say, you know what? That illustration hit close to home. I need a bigger combine. Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> I know how some of you think. You're going, preacher said I need a bigger combine. Didn't you hear that? That's what I heard. Um, no. I, I mean, I mean the, the bottom line is what? You would walk away and go, what a shame. If I only had more help. That's what Jesus says. He said, the harvest is plentiful. The issue is not, is there a harvest? The issue is, is there help? And this is very, very specific here. I want you to understand, because I'm hoping to change the way some of you pray in a minute. What does he say? Pray that the Lord of the harvest would make a bigger harvest. No. Pray that the Lord of the harvest would do what? Send forth laborers to the harvest. There are passages that tell us to pray for our lost loved ones and friends. Not minimizing that. But this passage doesn't say that. This passage says, pray that God will send someone to them. This passage says, pray that God will send someone to that person you are burdened for, to that harvest. Here's what I want to challenge you with. I don't, I'm sure there's a Joe that needs to be saved. I don't have a Joe in my life that needs to be saved that I know of, okay? But so let's say every day for years I've been praying, Lord, I'd love to see Joe saved. I'd love to see Joe come to the Lord. I'd love to see Joe understand what, what salvation is really all about and the life that he can have. Lord, Lord, please save Joe. Lord, would you please save Joe? Lord, would you please work in Joe's heart? Lord, I really want Joe to be saved. Lord, pray for Joe. So let's just say that's my prayer. You know what this passage says your prayer needs to be? God, send somebody to Joe. God, bring somebody in Joe's life at work today who knows Christ. God, bring, bring somebody along in Joe's life to be able to reach Joe because here's what will happen eventually you know what you will figure out when you're praying every day for Jod to send somebody to Joe you're the person you're the person that needs to go talk to Joe you're the person that God wants to use to go talk to Joe because in the very next verse you know what Jesus is going to do he tells the disciples to pray this way, and the next verse he's going to say, you 12, you're going. 
You're my guys. I'm going to send you out. You're going to be able to do all the stuff that I've done. I've shown you how to do it. You've seen me do it. Now it's time for you to go do it. You're going to be able to heal. You're going to be able to cast out demons. You're going to be able to talk about the kingdom. You're, going to, you're the guys now that are going to go into the harvest. And I would challenge you to really think this thing through in your life. I don't, I'm not minimizing praying for our lost loved ones or people that we care about. But you need to start praying that somebody would send them somebody to them, and that somebody just might be you. We would look at it as a tragedy. If somebody came in here to church this morning and said, you know what, I've done everything that I can do to get the harvest in. I'm working myself to bone. I can't, I can't find anybody to help me. There are some of you that would say, you know what, I'll go. I'll go give you a hand. I'll take a day off work. I'll show up. I'll give you a hand. And yet, in the kingdom of God, every day, opportunities go by because nobody steps up to the plate. The harvest is ready. Just need people out there. And that's how Jesus ends this passage. That's how he ends this story. So uh, a, a couple of takeaways for us um, this morning that I think will, will, will help us um, this week. First lesson. It's not enough to just admire Jesus. It's not enough to just come in here and go, okay, let me ask something. Okay, help me out here. What's the difference between a person who, as we're walking out of church this morning, passed me on the and said, Pastor, you know, in 24 years, that's like the best message I've ever heard in this church. Ever. Like this was your top one, baby. And then they go out and do nothing about it. Versus the person who doesn't say anything to me, gets in the car, looks at their spouse and goes, well, that was a waste of an hour. Other than me feeling good one way and feeling bad the other way, what's the difference? None. It's not enough to just be in awe. It's not enough to just hear it. We have to do it. I don't give you two cents for somebody who says, I'm a Christian, but doesn't live that way. In fact, John, 1 John and James would argue that you need to take a good hard look because if you're really a Christian, it changes stuff. It changes stuff. You do it differently because you're a Christian. And you want to do it differently because you're a Christian. Why? Because it's not enough just to be in awe. It has to impact the way we live. And I, I, one of the joys that I have of doing this job is I get to hear the little stories. And I don't look for people going, you know, you know, oh, pastor, I've decided I'm giving my life to God and I'm going to the mission field. That's great. I'm thrilled for you. I'm happy for you. We'll be in your corner. We'll help you. Yay, 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 yay. But I'm just as excited when I hear somebody say something like, you know what? I've never read my Bible, but I started this week. You know what? I finally made a phone call that I've been putting off for 10 years. You know what? Um, I actually decided to be nice to somebody who's been mean to me. You know what? I went like a whole hour without yelling at my wife this week. I get excited over stuff like that. Because that's like an hour of relief that your wife got. I mean, I, I'm excited, you know. 
I mean, I, I, I get excited when I hear it's those little things. Why? Because it means that somewhere along the line, the Holy Spirit poked you about something, and you responded, and you're, you're, doing the, you're trying to do the right thing. That's God at work. That's a God thing. That's an exciting thing. That's what we're after. We're about applying the Word of God to our lives, not just hearing it, not just standing back and going, oh, that's an awesome chandelier. It's so much more than that. I think the second issue in this story, the second lesson for us is this. Open your eyes. See, Jesus saw something nobody else saw. He saw past the stuff to see what the real issues were. He saw the hurt. He saw the pain. He saw the loneliness. He saw this stuff past the physical stuff. That person who's driving you nuts at work, see past that. There's probably a hurt or there's probably a pain or there's probably a loneliness there that you might be able to have a ministry to. You've got to see past the stuff. You've got to let it touch your heart. That cashier who's grumpy and mean and nasty, there's something going on there. See if you can get them to crack a smile. Wish them a good day. That waitress who's lousy, who can't get you the drink on time, who you go the whole meal, you know, and they just don't get it right. Maybe they spill stuff on you. Leave them a great big tip. Tell them to have a wonderful day. I guarantee you nobody else is going to do that to them that day. Why? Use it as an opportunity to make a difference. Use it as an opportunity to try to see past that stuff that's an opportunity you got to have compassion on the people that are around us struggling we got to see past our stuff and then it's the idea of not just not just seeing not 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 just not just seeing past it but the idea of really praying that god would use me that god would help me to see there's an incredible harvest and god can even use me in it the, the thing that I get frustrated, you know, it, the thing that probably frustrates me more than anything else in this church, okay, I don't think you understand the potential you have to make a difference in the kingdom of God. That's my frustration. That's my frustration. Is that you don't think God can use you in great ways. And yet, I watch when somebody will step out with a little bit of faith and trust God, and God will do great things with it. I watch when people will at least take a stab in doing something that, 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 that honors God, and I watch God bless it. And, 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 and so often I deal with rural people and, 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 and people out here who you just don't see the potential that God can use you in great and mighty and incredible ways. And it frustrates me to no end. And every Sunday that I get up here, my goal is to get you uncomfortable enough to go out and just prove, try to prove me wrong. Because I know you're all so stubborn as I am about stuff. And I, 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 I see it. I see what, you know, I mean, a crazy thing. You know, we stand up and talk about soccer balls that are indestructible. Next thing you know, i got 25 of them going to Michigan. We started out, I talked to the board about it, thinking maybe we can get 10. And you need to know, I'm a weak faith guy. Okay? Because the gal called me. She goes, hey, look, we got a problem. She said, it's the same cost 
It's the same shipping cost to ship you 15 as it is 20. Do you want to order 20? And a pastor with great faith would have said what? Yes, we want to order 20. God will provide. But your pastor said, no, we'll order 15 this time. And then they called her up two weeks later and said, what's it going to cost to ship me another 10? And I know what she's thinking. She's saying, you should have ordered 50, you should have ordered 20 the last time, and you'd have been okay, you know. But it's like, okay, you know, then 30 would have gone. I, I get it, okay? But we just need to learn, we really, really need to learn that God can use us and to trust Him on stuff. And step out. And let God use you. It's not about the harvest. The harvest is ready. We just need people to step out of their comfort zone and go out into the field. And I get it. I remember my first day working in the field helping farmers. And if you don't think those people had a tremendous amount of patience, because that whole concept just blew me away. You know, you know, driving the little buggy down, and you know, I've got to wait while they stick that probe in the thing and then pull it out and then give me a ticket and then take this. And, oh, I had to go in and get the ticket. That's right. I had to dump it, and then I had to go in and get the ticket. And then... And then I had to keep the tickets. Um, and then when we were doing different fields, I had to separate the tickets out. Um, I remember all that. And it was, it was awkward and it was uncomfortable. But the more I did it, the more comfortable I got at it. It's no different when we step out into the field that's ripe under harvest and say, God, use me. I really don't have a clue what I'm doing. And God will put words in your mouth that you never had. He will give you courage that you never knew existed. And he will give you insight, and he will use you in ways that you never, ever imagined. But you've got to pray for him to send people. And I'm just going to tell you, I'm going to, give, I'm going to cut to the short end of it. You're going to be one of the people he sends. And my challenge is that as a church, we understand that. And that we let God use us. So, I wrap it up by saying this. My prayer, each day we walk into a world that needs Jesus Christ. May our eyes be open to the needs around us, and may our hearts be sensitive to the leading of God. And may each of us faithfully labor in the harvest, because it's ready. It's ready. Let's pray. Lord.